You're listening to audio from Pillar Church of Jacksonville, where our goal is to know Jesus and to make him known. If you have questions or want to know more about us, you can text Pillar to 94000 or visit our website at pillarjacks.com. Good morning. My name is J.D. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to be with you this morning. So glad that you have uh, chosen to be uh, with us. We are walking uh, through the book of John right now. We'll find ourselves in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. If you do not have a Bible of your own, uh, feel free to grab one of these uh, Bibles uh, that is up underneath your seat or one that is in front of you, and, uh, and we will go from there. John chapter 5. So the title of my sermon today, as you can see on the screen, is The Source of Life. The Source of Life, and I want to remind you kind of where we're heading. So we did an introductory sermon uh, early on, and uh, and kind of laid out like the 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 how the book kind of lines up, and uh, just kind of started with us. If you go to the next slide, Jacob, that'd be great. Uh, Kind of like a prologue where we see kind of introduction one one through eighteen, and then we see over the course of the first six chapters in totality. It's kind of a a revealing of who Christ is. John is unfolding for us who Christ is. It's not not succinct. It's not, there is some overlap that happens in this, uh, in this revealing. And then we go to, there's a reviling. uh, We see a very definite time where they are trying to uh, destroy and kill Jesus from, uh, from John chapter six, all the way to to John chapter uh, 12 through John chapter 12. And then we see the response. So chapters 13 through 20 are actually only one week. Uh, All those chapters are Passion Week of Christ and who he is and kind of laid out. And then we see the conclusion or what we call the epilogue. And so you can lay the book out in this way and it's helpful for you to kind of, as you read, what is John trying to do? And so as we think about this concept of revealing, you'll see on the screen here, there's a few ways that, that as we've walked through these chapters that... John is trying to help us in revealing who Jesus is. So we see in chapter 1, 29 through 32, that John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, that this is the Christ, the one that you have been waiting for. And he's revealing who, uh, who uh, Christ is. And then later on when you get in chapter 1, just a few verses later, you will see that he says the exact same thing again to the disciples, to those whom Jesus was calling to himself to come alongside and to do this work together when he says, Behold the Lamb of God, and the disciples begin to follow him. So he's revealing himself to the disciples. And then he's revealing himself through miracles and signs. We see this in, in, uh, in John chapter 2 where he takes and turns the water into wine. We see it again uh, just in our last chapter where Jesus actually heals somebody from afar at the end of John chapter 4. And then we get to, uh, and then we, this week we'll see another miracle and sign. So Jesus is continually being revealed to uh, the people through, uh, through John the Baptist, to the disciples, through his miracles and works. And then we see in 2, 13 through 3.36, he's revealing himself to the people, to the Jews. Uh, and then uh, last, uh, last couple of Sundays, uh, to the Samaritans, Jared preached for us, the, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Uh, we saw, if you'll see with me, look in John chapter 4, you'll see this progression. You see this beautiful progression in John chapter 4 
I'll start in verse 9. It says, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew? So she refers to Jesus as a Jew. But then look at verse 19. She says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So he went from being a Jew in her mind to now he's done some things. He's revealed some things to her to say, oh, well, you must be a prophet. And he moved down to verse 29 and it says she goes out to the people and says come see a man who told me all that I have ever did can this be the Christ so you see this unfolding of the Samaritan woman as she's unfolding of her mind and discovering who Jesus is from Jew to prophet to Messiah and then if you go down to in chapter 4 uh, verse 42 they said to the woman it is no longer because of your own testimony that we believe. No, we've heard it for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And we see this unfolding, this revealing that is happening from Jew to prophet to could this be the Christ? No, this is the Savior of the world. And so this unfolding is always bringing about who the source of life is. And then we... And we see this, um, uh, we also see this in, uh, to, the, to the Jewish leaders, even as we see this week, that those will be, there will be revealing with some crossover of reviling from the Jewish, Jewish leaders. But then even next week to the, in chapter 6, we'll see that he'll be revealing himself to the multitudes, the crowds. As it says, a large crowd was coming towards him, that he was gathering unto himself a large crowd following. So John is unfolding for us who is the Christ, who is the Savior of the world. It is through testimonies of John the Baptist, those who are following him and disciples through miracles and signs, to the, even to the Jewish people, to the Samaritans, specifically through the Samaritan woman. And then today we get to chapter 5 and we'll see that Jesus is going to be revealing himself again to the Jewish leaders. So we'll start in verse 1, and we will read to the end of chapter 5. So follow along with me, if you will. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind lame and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up and while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, said to him, See, you are well. 
Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working unto now and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking to all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. But whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. But there's another one who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the, testimo- but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. See, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For the words 
uh, for, the, for he wrote of me. But if you not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would bring clarity to this text for us, that you would illuminate our hearts to the goodness of what is presented in here, that you will also convict us of our sins where we have not honored you, where we have not glorified you, where we have trusted in ourselves for our own salvation. Lord, I just pray that you would give clarity and wisdom again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things I want you to gather from this or get from this and kind of take away from this uh, is this, that you would honor Christ, that you would honor Christ and seek to glorify him above everyone and everything else. So if you're taking notes, if you would, that you would honor Christ and seek to glorify him above everyone and everything else. Three points this morning. My first point is this. The source of life comes to those who are undeserving. The source of life comes to those who are undeserving. So we've, we're in Bethesda. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for a feast of which we don't know exactly which feast this is. But Jesus comes up to Jerusalem and he goes to a pool that is there called Bethesda which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, those who are paralyzed, those who are lame, those who are uh, uh, blind and probably deaf. And there was a man who was there who had been, who had been an invalid for 38 years, had no strength to, to get up and get into the water whenever it was uh, time for the water was stirred up. But another one would go in for 38 years. This man had endured this kind of, uh, th- this timing that he couldn't get into. It's very different that they didn't have people to help them come alongside. They were just laying in these five roof colonnades waiting to get in order, waiting to be healed. And then we see in verse 6 that Jesus saw him lying there. And he knew that he had been there a long time. Jesus knew who he was. And he asked, I believe, an unusual question that I, when I read this, I ponder why Jesus would ask this question. Do you want to be healed? I can't imagine if I'd been an invalid for 38 years, waiting to jump into the pool to be healed, that this question would come from Jesus. But notice that the sick man doesn't answer him in a yes or no, or of course, been waiting for 38 years. He says, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the time comes. Sir, I have, uh, uh, when I go down, someone, someone steps before me and is healed before I am. And so Jesus just said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. This was the third sign that Jesus has done. Remember we talked about in in chapter 2, Jesus turned the water to wine. Even last week, Jesus heals a man from 16 miles away. He heals the man's son from 16 miles away. It's nothing too hard for God that he would take a a man who'd been invalid for 38 years. Jesus points to the power of Jesus over his creation. That he is the source of all life. 
We learn from Colossians that in creation, that it was spoken through Christ, that creation would come into existence through the words of Christ. So there's nothing too hard for him. He is the source of all life. And so we see this man at once. The man was healed. 38 years he had been invalid. And he gets up. He takes up his bed. Fully healed. Fully restored. And he walks. The man did nothing to deserve this. He was undeserving of any kind of grace that Jesus would give. To be healed in this manner. And then we get to verse 9. That day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But notice they, they missed the point of the whole context of what had happened. There's no doubt that they would have known who this man was and where he came from. The man said, he even goes like, hey, he, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. But notice the Jewish leaders passed right over what has happened right in front of them. That there is a man who is carrying his mat, who has been healed after 38 years of being an invalid, who is walking fully restored, fully healed. And then there's a problem. The Jewish leaders say, hey, wait a minute. You can't do that. You can't do that. That's against the law. That's against our law. That's against one of our, our 39 categories that we've added to extra biblical law that you can do you can't do on the Sabbath. And so they asked him in verse 12, who is this man? Who did this to you? Who said take up your bed and walk? Who had this authority? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus as had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. But Jesus, verse 14, Jesus found him in the temple. And he said to him, see you are well. I have healed your body. What you couldn't do an hour ago, we'll say. You can now do because I've given you full restoration. Now let me restore your soul. Go forth and sin no more. This was not. Most A lot of commentary, commentaries say. That because of this man's sin is the reason that he was an invalid. So therefore Jesus says to him sin no more. But that's not the context that's written in the Greek. The context that's written in the Greek is go forth and do no sin. So it's a, it's a call to no longer walk in his sin. That you can be fully restored, not only as an invalid, restored in full restoration of your body. But go and sin no more that you don't spend an eternity in hell apart from me. That you don't go to a place where it is Worse. You see, the source of life comes to the undeserving. 
There is nothing that this man did. There is nothing this man accomplished to deserve the grace that Jesus gave to him. And he comes in to the undeserving. And he fully heals his body. And seems here to restore his soul. So the source of life comes to the undeserving. But what about those who are deserving? Maybe you're here this morning. You go, hey, I deserve this. I worked hard for this salvation. I keep the full totality of the law. I try to walk in a measure of grace and mercy. I love my neighbor as myself. Look at all the ways that I am holy and righteous and good. just want to warn you here that the Bible is clear that none of us are deserving. None of us are deserving of the grace of God. You see, this is the conundrum from the Pharisee standpoint. This is what Jesus is always attacking them on when he says, even in Matthew 23, he says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You see, you go through the law, you tithe mint. You tithe deal, you tithe cumin. See, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. That of justice and mercy and faithfulness. And that's what, that's what they had missed here. That's what these leaders had missed here. Mercy and justice and faithfulness. Instead of celebrating the good thing that Jesus had done right in front of him, pointing to his authority, pointing to who he was as a Messiah. No, now we're going to see that he's going to threaten. They're going to threaten to kill him. Because he healed on the Sabbath. Because he had a man stand up and walk with his mat. Which was illegal and against their man-written laws. He goes on to call in Matthew 23. These Jewish leaders blind guides. You see, you go and strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. You do the small things, but you forget the big things. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, and everything looks great on the outside. But inside, you're full of greed. You're full of selfish indulgence, it says. I'm telling you that you need to be clean from the inside out. That's what it means to deserve grace. There is nothing that you can do to deserve any grace except to receive and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You need to remember that there is none of us righteous. Not even one. That we are dead in our trespasses and sin. And only through Christ are we Made alive, do we pass from death to life? It is by grace you have been saved. It is not of your own doing or result of your own work, so that no one may boast. So let me encourage you this morning in a couple of ways. If you are a Christian this morning, you need to rest in this. You need to live in light of this to remember that you were undeserving when the grace of Jesus Christ came upon you. That the gospel of Jesus Christ came to you and the source of life 
opened your eyes, not because of any favor that you had, not because of any works that you accomplished, as Jonathan pointed out to us when he was reading the Advent, not because you are special, more special than anyone else on this third rock from the sun. No, God saved you because of His mercy. God saved you because of His grace. He transferred you from the domain of darkness into His glorious light according to His will, not any of your accomplishments. Yes, you were undeserving. You were set on a trajectory toward an eternity apart from a holy God. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ and your life has never been the same. When Jesus enters into your life, when he opens your blind eyes, your life is never the same. Maybe for those of you who are here, have never trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you believe your sin is too great. You believe that you have not done enough to earn God's favor. Maybe you feel like you need to get your life right before coming to Christ. Or maybe you, maybe you think you've done so much wrong. You've, you've sinned so much that you don't deserve the grace of God because your sin is so profound. I just want to welcome you to the club. To all of us. We're all undeserving. The moment that you were born forth into iniquity, you were undeserving. I just want to encourage you this morning. That even right now, during the middle of this sermon, that you would not miss what the Jewish leaders missed. That you would not pass over what is right in front of you. The grace and mercy of Christ to the undeserving. I want you to understand that Christ uh, was with God. That he is God as we learned in the first chapter of John 1. And that he is the source of life. He is the source of life. And he can bring you from a certain death to a certain life that is found in him. As undeserving as you think you are, you can Oh, you, you can repent and believe the good news of the gospel this morning. And the source of life will give you new life, a saving life, a sanctified life, an eternal life. So if you haven't trusted him, would you do it today? Right now, today is the day of salvation. Would you not miss what, the, what these Jewish, Jewish leaders missed? So the source of life comes to those who are undeserving. That's everybody. Comes to the undeserving. Second point is this. The source of life has authority. So we must honor him. The source of life has all authority and we must so we must honor Verse 16, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. 
because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, listen, my father is working until now, and I am working. This points to his divinity. It points to his authority. Verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, the the Jewish law that we find uh, in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. So we see that Jesus is the source of life that spoke life, all of, uh, all of creation into life. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath by healing those, showing his authority and power even over 38 years of being an invalid. But now he was equating himself equal with the father. So Jesus gives a defense. So the rest of 19, or the rest of this chapter, is a defense from Jesus about who he is, who his authority comes from, what the response should be in lieu of that, in view of that authority. So Jesus says to them, truly, truly, which means, hey, listen, guys, I got something important to say here. The son can do nothing of his own accord. I see the I, but only what he sees the Father. I seen I have seen the Father, and I emulate the Father. I do likewise. The Father has shown me all that He is doing. Not only that, but greater works than these will He show Him, so that you all will marvel. For as the Father raises the dead, He gives them life. The Son gives life to whom He will. See, Jesus has the authority to raise the dead and to give life. Not only to to do this, but to give life to whom He will. He is the author, He is the, the, the maker, the grand designer. He is God. The Son. And He has the authority and the power to give life to whom He will. There's also this command that we would receive. And that we would hear and live. That we would hear His voice and turn from our evil ways. And so He has authority to exercise judgment as we see in verse 22. The Son has been given the authority to judge. And then I say to you, whoever hears my word, you Jewish leaders, you people of this church, and believes him who sent me, you have eternal life. Not only that, you don't come into judgment. You are passed from death to life. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. That you would hear the voice. There's an hour that is coming, verse 25, that is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, the Messiah, 
Jesus. That those who hear will live. Have you heard his voice? Has he prompted you to respond that you would live? That you would live as the Father has life. That you would live as a son has life for all of eternity with them. Worshipping and honoring and giving glory to them. Because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this. Don't be surprised at this. The scriptures for all of eternity have pointed, uh, for all the Old Testament have pointed to me. For the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his And those who have done good to the resurrection, they will receive life. But to those who have stayed in their evil thoughts and their evil ways and their evil hearts, will suffer the resurrection and judgment. Will stand before the Lord and suffer the judgment. So when you and I, when we pass from this world and go into the next, Our souls will go and live in eternity with Him. But our bodies will lie in the grave until a day comes. Revelation 11 tells us this. Until an hour comes when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and our bodies will once again be resurrected with our souls. There's There's a resurrection of the soul and there's a resurrection of the body that comes later. The important thing here is that you would see that Jesus is the source of life. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Son of Man. And that He will bring judgment to those who walk in their evil ways. Look at verse 23. We must honor the Son. Just as you honor the Father. Because if you do not honor the Son, you do not honor the Father who sent him. And so our lives must be marked with that of purity, that of walking in sanctification, that of giving worship to, to, to God and Him alone. To honor Him with our lives, to honor Him with all of our lives. To walk in the goodness of what he is called. To walk in a manner worthy of our calling. To abstain from sin. To give glory to the Father and him alone. To God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. To the triune God. That we would honor the Son. That we would honor the Father. That we would walk in the Spirit. That we would worship him. my question to you this morning as you you think about this is do you seek to honor God with your life? Do you seek to honor God with your life or are you seeking the the, the honor of others? Do you seek the encouragement that comes from God or do you seek the encouragement that comes from friends and family and neighbors and co-workers? Do you seek your own glory or do you actually seek to honor God with your life? To walk in the newness of life. 
to give him praise. talked about yesterday during our men's breakfast, do you ascribe proper worth to God as you magnify him above everything else? Do you seek to serve the creator and not the creation? So the source of life has authority, has authority to execute judgment, has authority to raise the dead and bring them to life. Has the authority to, to give life to whom he will. And our response to that is to honor that authority with our lives. Giving up the things that we desire. Our own self-indulgence as Jesus accuses the Jewish leaders of doing. To, to love him and to love our neighbors as ourselves. My third point is this, the source of life comes to those who receive the testimony. The source of life comes to those who receive the testimony. In verses 30 through 46, 47, we see a five-fold witness. A five-fold witness of those who testify to Jesus verse 31, I alone bear witness about myself, but if I do that, my testimony is not true. So Jesus knows who he is, but he also knows that his own testimony is not enough for you to believe. But there's another one, verse 32, there's witness about me, and I know that that testimony is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved, that you would believe the testimony that is written by John and was spoken by John. Because he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But again, I have a greater testimony than that of John. And that is my works, my works, my healings, my miracles, all the things that I have accomplished while here on earth, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus testifies to himself. John the Baptist testifies to Jesus, uh, the, the, the testimony of his own works. And then with verse 37, the Father who sent me, he has borne witness about me. Listen, his voice you've never heard, his form you haven't seen, you do not have his word abiding in you, you don't believe him who has sent you. And the last of the fivefold testimonies is the witness of Scripture, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, I don't receive glory from people. 
I know that you don't love God. I come in my Father's name. You don't receive me. But you receive others. You love the glory of others. You love to hear the glory of man. He knows this about them. Going back to chapter 23 of Matthew. See, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat to observe and do whatever they say, but not the works that they do. Because they preach but don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens uh, that are hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all of their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, which makes them look more holy than what they are. Is that you? Do you try to look on the outside and go, man, I'm just trying to make myself look more holy than what I am? I'm striving to, to, to let people look at me and see that I am, I am holy and that I'm godly. Only inside all these turmoils that are, are going on inside. And that's what he's trying to get to is the heart of who they are. It's a five-fold testimony and you refuse all of it. It's a five-fold testimony that you would have life and yet you refuse it. Yet you seek your own glory. Yet you seek glory of others. But the scriptures bear witness. The Father bears witness. My works bear witness. But four times here he tells them they do not. They do not have his word, verse 38. Verse 30, 42, they do not have the love of God. Verse 43, they do not receive him. Verse 44, they do not seek the glory that comes from the Father. Do you receive the testimony of the scriptures? Do you believe these sacred writings that make you wise for salvation? Are you walking in newness of life? Are you seeking to... To, to abstain from sin, to deplore sin for what it is, an affront to a holy and righteous God. You seek to know who He is. So as I said before, that you would, my prayer is that you would honor Christ. That you would take away this from this sermon, that you would honor Christ. That you would seek to glorify him above everyone and everything else. And that you would believe. That you would believe that you would not be those who would refuse. And Jesus is standing right in front of you. The, the words and the scriptures are here for you to read, to receive, and to believe. I pray that you would not refuse. I pray that you would receive. I pray that the love of God would be inside of you. I pray that you would you would abide in the words of these scriptures. To seek to glorify, to seek to honor the one who is the source of all life. And that is Jesus himself.
musicians come and as we get ready to think about the good news of the gospel, to think about what Christ has accomplished, his testimony for us, not, not only in the scriptures, not only in uh, his works that we see in the scriptures, by observing the Lord's Supper together. And each week we celebrate the Lord's Supper with each other as a, as a way to remind ourselves of the goodness of the gospel. We do it each week because we see the early church do this regularly when they gather together. And it causes us to remember and reflect on the grace and goodness of God each time we gather. So the Lord's Supper for us is to be taken by only those who are Christians, those who have put their faith and their trust and hope in Him, the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus the Christ. We ask that you would be actively walking in the faith, abstaining from sin, and wanting to seek and honor and glorify the Lord in this way. So an active Christian is one who has been baptized in the faith. An active Christian is constantly and fully repenting of sin so that you, before you would take this, that you would uh, repent of any sin that you have not repented of before you do so. You do not have to be a member of this church to partake of this. But I do ask that you would observe your life. Bible is clear that if you take this in an unworthy manner with sin in your life, that you actually bring judgment on your head, 1 Corinthians 11. So I would just ask that you would consider and take this time to, to, to bow your heads while we're singing and to repent of any sin that may be there. So you can stand with us if you desire. You can actually sit in your seat and reflect. But I just ask that you would examine your hearts before you partake the elements with us today. As you're singing this song, would you go ahead and stand for those who are going to stand? As we sing this song, you can come up and get the elements while we're singing together.